Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is another group of new fatwas from islamqna.com. The first fatwa is, she fasted for six days of shawal and wants to carry on fasting. I want to find out the ruling on fasting continuously without stopping even after completing six days of shawal. I have made up the fast that I owed, then I fasted six days of shawal, then my husband thought we should carry on fasting voluntarily. What is the Islamic ruling on that? Answer. Praise be to Allah. Firstly, there is nothing wrong with a person joining a voluntary fast to a made up fast or six days of shawal because of the general meaning of the evidence which encourages offering voluntary fast without a separation between the voluntary fast and the made-up fast. Secondly, if what is meant by your continuing to fast after completing the six days of shawal is observing voluntary fast continually until the end of shawal, or for a certain days that you want to fast voluntarily, seeking thereby the pleasure of Allah, there is nothing wrong with that, so long as neither of you will be harmed by that and neither of you will fail to fulfill the rights of the other. However, the best teaching concerning that is not to fast for an entire month except the month of Ramadan. Rather, the days when one fasts should be mixed with days when one does not fast, and vice versa, as was the practice of the Prophet, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him. It was narrated that Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, said, The Messenger of Allah, blessings and peace of Allah be upon him, used to fast until we said that he would not break the fast, and he used to refrain from fasting until we said that he would not fast. And I never saw the Messenger of Allah, blessings and peace of Allah be upon him, fast any month in full except Ramadan, and I never saw him fast more than he did in Sha'ban. Narrated by Al-Bukhari 1969. Sheikh Ibn Jibreen, may Allah have mercy on him, said, It is permissible to fast continually on consecutive days, then not to fast continually on other consecutive days. The evidence for that is the hadith quoted in the question, because that is voluntary and mustahab. End quote from Fatawa al-Sheikh ibn Jibreen. But if what is meant is continuing to fast until the next year, apart from the two days of the Eid, and the days of al-Tashriq, the three days following Eid al-Adha, this is what the scholars call lifetime fasting, Saum al-Dahr and the ruling on it is that it is makruh according to the correct scholarly opinion. For more information, please see the answer to question 144592, and Allah knows best. The next question is, is it permissible to say, so-and-so is my benefactor, wali ni'mati? Is it permissible to say, so-and-so is my benefactor, wali ni'mati? Answer. Praise be to Allah. The basic principle is that the one who is to be described as wali and ni'mah, benefactor or source of blessings, is Allah, may he be exalted, who bestows his abundant blessings, both visible and invisible, upon his slave. Ibn al-Qayyim, may Allah have mercy on him, said, All goodness is to be attributed to Allah. It is in his hands, by his leave, and from him. He is the benefactor and source of the individual's blessings, as he is the one who initiated them without anyone being entitled to them. He bestows them upon him, 
even though the individual may be displeasing him by his turning away from him and his negligence and sin. So Allah deserves all praise and thanks, and the slave deserves blame, criticism, and shame. End quote from Al-Fawaid, page 113. But that does not prevent any of his slaves, whom he has blessed, from being a benefactor or source of blessings to another of his slaves. Yet it must be noted that there is a huge difference between the true blessings of Allah to all of his slaves, as he is the creator of those blessings, and the one who divides provision among them and causes provision to come down from his stores, and the blessings that some of his slaves bestow upon others, from what Allah has given to them and caused them to possess and put under their control. They are no more than a means of directing the blessings of Allah to other slaves of Allah. The blessings bestowed by the Creator are unlimited, whereas the blessings bestowed by people are limited to what Allah has given to them. Giving the name Benefactor, or Source of Blessings, to the one who does a favor is something that is known in Arabic language and in Islam. The closest thing to that, and the most well-known example, is the use of this name for a master who has manumitted a slave. Al-Bayhaqi, number 21966, narrated that Huzail ibn Shurabil said, A man came to Abdullah ibn Masud and said, I manumitted a slave of mine and made him a sa'iba, a freed slave with no wallet connection to anyone. Then he died and left behind some wealth. Abdullah said, The people of Islam did not free slaves as sa'iba. Rather, the people of the Jahiliyyah used to do that. You are his heir and his benefactor, or the source of his blessings, wali ni'matihi. If you are not comfortable with that, then show it to us, and we will put it in the Bayt al-Mal, the treasury of the Muslims. This report was originally narrated by al-Bukhari, number 6753. Al-Qadi Iyad, may Allah have mercy on him, said in al-Musharif 2-18, the benefactor or source of blessings, Wali al-Ni'ma is the one who manumits a slave, end quote. Al-Jassas, may Allah have mercy on him, said in Ahkam al-Qur'an 2-231, it refers to the master who has manumitted a slave, because he is the source of the favor of manumission. Hence, he is called source of blessing or benefactor, Wali al-Ni'ma, end quote. He also, may Allah have mercy on him, said, He, the Prophet, may blessings and peace of Allah be upon him, made the rights of the benefactor or source of blessing, i.e. the master who manumits a slave, like the rights of the father. The evidence for that is the hadith, no son can repay his father unless he finds him enslaved and buys him and manumits him, narrated by Muslim 1510. So he described the ransom of the father as equivalent to his rights over his son and equal to his favors to his son. End quote from Ahkam al-Qur'an 1-169. See also Sharh Muntaha al-Iradat 2-500, Kashaf al-Qina 4-405, Ikhtilaf al-A'imma al-Alama 2-85, Anis al-Fuqaha page 98, al-Fawaki al-Dawani 2-250. In linguistic terms, Ibn Manzur, may Allah have mercy on him, said, The master who is the benefactor, or source of blessings, is the one who manumits a slave, i.e., he blesses his slave by manumitting him. End quote from Lisan al-Arab 15-405. See also Tahbib al-Lugha 5-205, Al-Misbah al-Munir 
2-614, Taj al-Aruz 40-243. Based on that, there seems to be no reason not to use this phrase to refer to some people, bearing in mind the difference mentioned above. However, there is the fear that this matter may involve some going to extremes and exaggerating about people. In that case, it should not be used for that reason, not because a person cannot be a source of blessing to another. And Allah knows best. The next question is, the guidance of the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him regarding itikaf. I would like to know the guidance of the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him with regards to itikaf. Praise be to Allah. The guidance of the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him with regard to itikaf was the most perfect and moderate of guidance. Once he observed itikaf in the first ten days of Ramadan, then in the middle ten days, seeking Laylat al-Qadr. Then he was told that it is in the last ten days, so then he always observed itikaf during the last ten days until he met his Lord. On one occasion he did not observe itikaf during the last ten days, so he made it up in Shawal and observed itikaf during the first ten days thereof. This was narrated by al-Bukhari and Muslim. In the year in which he died, he observed itikaf for twenty days. Narrated by Al-Bukhari, number 2040. It was said that the reason for that is that he knew his life was drawing to a close, so he wanted to increase in good deeds, to show his ummah how to strive hard in doing good deeds when the opportunity for doing so drew to a close, so that they could meet Allah in the best way. And it was said that the reason was that Jibreel used to review the Qur'an with him once each Ramadan, but in the year in which he died, he reviewed it with him twice, which is why his itikaf was twice as long as usual. A more likely reason is that he observed itikaf for twenty days in that year, because the year before he had been traveling. This is indicated by the report narrated by al-Nasa'i and Abu Dawood, and classed as Sahih by Ibn Hibban and others. From Ubay ibn Ka'ab who said, The Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, used to observe itikaf during the last ten days of Ramadan. But he traveled one year and did not observe itikaf, so the following year he observed itikaf for twenty days. That's al-Bari. The Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, used to order that a kind of tent be pitched for him in the mosque, and he would stay in it, keeping away from people and turning to his Lord, so he could be on his own with his Lord in a true sense of the word. On one occasion he observed itikaf in a small tent and put a reed mat over the door. Narrated by Muslim 1167. Ibn al Qayyim said in Zad al Ma'ad 2 90, All of this to achieve the spirit and purpose of itikaf and is the opposite of what the ignorant do, whereby the place of itikaf becomes a place of gathering and meeting with people and chatting to them. This is one thing, and itikaf observed by the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is something else. He used to stay in the mosque the whole time and not leave it except to relieve himself. Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, said, He would not enter his house for anything except for a need when he was observing itikaf. Narrated by al Bukhari 2029, Muslim 297. According to a report narrated by Muslim, except for human needs, Al Zuhri interpreted this as referring to urination and defecation. He, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, made sure he remained clean. He would lean his head out of the mosque into Aisha's apartment, 
so that she should wash his head and comb his hair. Al-Bukhari 2028 and Muslim 297 narrated that Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, said, The Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, used to lean his head towards me when he was observing itikaf in the mosque, and I would comb his hair when I was menstruating. According to a report also narrated by al-Bukhari, and I would wash it. Al-Hafiz said, This hadith indicates that it is permissible to clean oneself, put on perfume, wash oneself, comb one's hair, etc., when in itikaf. The majority of scholars are of the view that nothing is makruh except that which it is makruh to do in the mosque. When he was in itikaf, the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, did not visit the sick or attend funerals. This was so that he could concentrate fully on conversing with Allah and achieving the purpose of itikaf, which is to cut oneself off from the people and turn to Allah. Aisha said, The sunnah is for the person in itikaf not to visit the sick or attend funerals or to be intimate with his wife. But there is nothing wrong with his going out for essential needs. Narrated by Abu Dawood 2473 classed as Sahih by Al-Albani and Sahih Abi Dawood. Or to be intimate with his wife means intercourse. This was, was stated by Al-Shawtani in Nail Al-Awtar. Some of his wives used to visit him when he was in Itikaf. When she stood up to leave, he would take her home. That was at night. It was narrated from Safiya, the wife of the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that she came to the Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and visited him when he was in Tikaf in the mosque during the last ten days of Ramadan. She spoke with him for a while, then she stood up to leave. The Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stood up with her to take her home. Narrated by Al-Bukhari 2035, Muslim 2175. In conclusion, his itikaf was moderate and not harsh. He spent all his time remembering Allah and turning to him in worship, seeking Laylat al-Qadr. See Zad al-Ma'an by Ibn al-Qayyim 2-90, Al-Itikaf Nazra Karbawiyya by Dr. Abdul Latif Balkin. The next question is, Can he give zakat al-fitr to the poor in the form of cash if they will not accept food? Is it permissible to give the poor zakat al-fitr in the form of cash instead of food if they will not accept food? Answer. Praise be to Allah. Zakat al-fitr must be given in the form of food, and it is not permissible to give it in the form of cash. But if the poor will not accept food and ask for cash, it is permissible to give it in the form of cash in that case, and in that case one will be excused for not giving it in the form of food. Shaykh ibn Uthaymin, may Allah have mercy on him, said, With regard to one who knows that it must be in the form of food, but he gives it in the form of cash because it is easier for him, that is not acceptable. But in the example mentioned by the questioner, if we cannot find anyone who will accept food, i.e., there is no one who will accept the rice or dates or wheat, and they will not accept anything but cash, in that case we may give it in the form of cash. So we should work out the cash value of a sack of average quality food and give it to them. End quote from Fatawa Nur Ala al darb and Allah knows best. The final fatwa for this section is, is it permissible to say, by Allah, I shall certainly discipline you, O nafs? I have come up with a campaign called, by Allah, I shall certainly discipline you, O nafs. 
This is a campaign that promotes self-development and jihad in nafs. I am going to set up programs for purifying the soul, softening the heart, and reminding one of death, and I want to post lectures by trustworthy sheikhs. Is there anything wrong with saying I shall certainly discipline the nafs that was created by Allah? Does the fact that this title contains an oath mean that other members are compelled to join the campaign? Please note that I said that whoever posts a comment on this topic will be regarded as having joined us in this campaign. Answer. Praise be to Allah. There is nothing wrong with a person saying to himself, I shall certainly discipline you, O nafs, if he is disciplining himself in accordance with the teaching of Islam. Even though Allah created the nafs, the main purpose for which Allah has prescribed religion is to discipline the nafs, purify it, and instruct it to do acts of worship and obedience. To Allah belong the creation and the commandment. Imam al-Awjuri, may Allah have mercy on him, said, If someone were to say, what evidence is there for disciplining the nafs? The answer is, the Qur'an, the Sunnah, and the words of the Muslim scholars. End quote from Adab and Nufus, page 9. He also said, page 17, How bad is the situation of the one who neglects to discipline his nafs and train it on the basis of knowledge? And how good is the situation of the one who pays attention to disciplining his nafs and knows what Allah has enjoined upon him and what he has forbidden to him, and is patient in going against the whims and desires of his nafs, and seeks the help of Allah the Almighty in doing so. End quote. And he narrated in his book, page 13, that al-Rabi' ibn Anas said, concerning the verse, Ward off from yourselves and your families a fire, Surah Tahrim, verse 6, Discipline and train yourselves and your families to adhere to the commands of Allah, May he be glorified and exalted. And he narrated on page 14 that Sa'id ibn Jubair said, that is, proper etiquette and manners. Then he, may Allah have mercy on him, said, page 15, Do you not see, may Allah have mercy on you, that your Lord most generous is urging you to discipline yourself and your families? Pay heed to Allah and make yourselves adhere to that, end quote. Based on that, there is nothing wrong with the phrase mentioned, and there is nothing wrong with giving the group the title mentioned, even if this phrase was not narrated in this way from some of the Salat, so long as it is Islamically acceptable in and of itself, and does not include anything that is not appropriate according to Islam. If you choose a title that is similar in meaning, such as self-discipline, or training the nafs, and so on, that is also good. Such words were used as book titles by some of the Salat. The oath mentioned is not regarded as compelling anyone to join the group. Rather, he is a member if he accepts the conditions stipulated in the group, and Allah knows best. This concludes this section of fatwas from www.islam-qa.com.